I absolutely love this day. I love it. Now, as a speaker, it's a little odd because it's not like you don't know what we're going to talk about today. But I still love it for one giant reason. I think Easter is the perfect time for anybody who's ever considered Christianity to become a follower of Jesus. I'm saying maybe you've been reading about it. You've been searching it out. Or maybe you've been visiting here for a little while and so you've heard us teaching about it. And maybe you're to that point of thinking, you know what? I believe this. I believe this. And so what do I have to do next? I'm saying Easter is the perfect time for that. And before we're done today, we're going to give you the chance to do what's next. But I also love Easter for those of you who have, you kind of have both feet on the brakes when it comes to faith. Uh, The truth is, you may be here today because somebody promised you lunch after. You may be here today because it's just kind of the thing that your family does, and so you're along for the ride. Or we could all just be honest here today and just say, because your wife made you come, right? But you don't believe this Jesus stuff. Well, Easter really is the best weekend for you to attend church. It is. Because Easter is when we talk about the one thing that does an end run around all of your objections. Here's what I mean. Maybe you've had bad church experiences. I hate that. But it happens. And the church treated you a certain way at a given time, or they treated your family in a certain way at a given time, or you knew this guy you worked with, and he claimed to be a Christian, but you saw how he treated people, bad church experiences. Or maybe for you, it's just the absolute belief that everything Christianity has to offer is just bogus and a myth. Maybe it was some professor that once challenged your faith and your whole spiritual house of cards came crashing down and your faith with it. Or maybe it's just the pain in your life. You know what I'm talking about. That thing happened and God didn't stop it. That thing happened and you feel like your prayers weren't answered. God How could a good God let this happen? Or how could a good God not let this happen? Here's what I'm saying. Despite all of that, and some of that I can't possibly adequately answer in this time together, and maybe I would never be able to answer some of those things for you. And I am not dismissing the pain of what you have experienced, but I today would still like you to at least consider Becoming a follower of Jesus. And here's why. Because the foundation of Christian faith is not Christians. 
which means the foundation of Christian faith is not the behavior of Christians. It matters. It drives me crazy when it happens. But the foundation of Christian faith is not the behavior of Christians. The foundation of Christian faith is not answered prayer. The foundation of Christian faith is not even having all our questions answered. The foundation of Christian faith, which everything hangs on, is what took place 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. And my point is, if that happened, if it really happened, that changes everything. So let's explore what happened. The cool thing is we got four different stories we could look at, four different accounts that the Bible gives us of what happened on that Sunday morning. Today, I want to show you one from the Gospel of Mark. Mark. And so Mark chapter 16 records the story, and I'm just going to read a little bit to you, and then we're going to talk about it some. So Mark chapter 16, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Here's what he says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Here's where I want us to start today. When we explore what happened on that Easter Sunday, we begin to realize, first of all, Easter is a challenge to the mind. Easter is a challenge to the mind. Now, you saw it. As we read this story, right, there were three ladies who were approaching the tomb, and what did they have in their hands? Spices. Why do they have spices in their hands? To anoint the body of Jesus. That was typical procedure for burial in that day. It helped with the, the deconstructive disintegration process of the body. I, I don't know how else to say this. It would just help that it wouldn't smell so bad. That's why they did it. These ladies didn't go to a tomb to sprinkle cinnamon or frankincense and whatever other spices they had on a living body. You get that? No one expected a resurrection that morning. Now, it wasn't because Jesus didn't tell them. He did numerous times. He referred to the fact that he was going to rise. One time, he was really clear. He said, I'm going to destroy this temple, my body, but I'm going to rebuild it again in three days. He said it was going to happen. But it's also really clear from the story 
nobody expected nobody. You like that for Easter English? (laughs) Nobody expected nobody. That's what Mark shows us. Nobody went expectantly to that that tomb on Easter morning expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. The, The disciples didn't gather outside the tomb early that morning, right? And okay, everybody's here and you can hear John saying, okay, it's on. We're gonna count it down from 10. Everybody ready? 10, nine, eight, cue the sunrise, seven, six, here he comes. No, no countdown. Nobody expected nobody. Instead, these women come to the tomb expecting a body to anoint. They just don't know how they're going to get through a stone that blocks the door. None of the men are present, probably hopelessly at home, trying to sleep off the grief of losing The one that they had so grown to love, they had so grown to trust him in the last three and a half years. And so Mark just tells us how it really happened. Nobody expected. And Mark tells us how it really happened in that the first witnesses to encounter the risen Christ were women. You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, it makes a difference in a culture where a woman's testimony in the court of law, wouldn't even be considered. That's the culture in which this happens. A woman testifying in the court of law, she would not even be heard. So if Mark and the other writers are wanting to create a believable story, if they're just trying to create a story that everybody's going to buy into, that Jesus rises from the dead, what they're going to say is it was the men who arrived at the tomb. It's just the fact because the men would be believed, they would be taken seriously. My question is why in the world then would Mark and Luke and John and Matthew all say that the women were the first to find Jesus? I'm telling you there's only one reason. Because that's the way it actually happened. The women were the first to see the risen Christ. That's how it really took place. That's the only reason you would ever write it that way. That's how it happened. I think it's also interesting that Mark is the shortest of all the gospels that we are given. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest of the gospels. However, Mark includes more miracles and more stories about Jesus than any of the other gospel writers. How did he do that? It's because of Mark's style of writing. He's just, he just cuts to the chase. He doesn't deal in a lot of details. He tells the stories. He gets right to it. This is how it goes. So my question is, when I read this story, why does Mark then, not once, not twice, But three times, he repeats himself by very clearly stating every single time, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James. And so every time he calls their names, every time he lists them all, not once, not twice, 
three times. Why would a guy who writes so precisely, why would a guy who doesn't repeat things repeat it? Well, in the first century, it was common practice of citing your sources. And what they knew is you would write in the names of still living people who were on the scene so that if you're telling your story and someone doesn't believe you, they can actually go to the person alive and say, hey, what happened? It's like, it's like Mark is, is setting it up to, to anybody that he's telling to say, you don't believe me? Go ask him. Go ask Mary. Go ask Mary. Go ask Salome. And three times he lists them saying they saw it happen. The apostle Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians when he talks about Jesus' resurrection. He mentions Peter. He mentions the 12 disciples. He he even states at one time that 500 people at once saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Do you know how hard it would be to get 500 people to collaborate a story? And so, so Mark and Paul... They don't try to base their evidence on dead, unreachable people. They're banking on the fact that people are going to fact check what they say. I want to encourage you today to not to fall into this sort of chronological snobbery that looks back on people of the past and think they're just so primitive thinkers. Of course they believed. No. Mark tells us absolutely not. Nobody expected nobody. But here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here we are 2,000 years later, and Christianity has continued to spread like wildfire throughout the earth. Here we are 2,000 years later. All those first disciples gave their lives to spread the good news. And I'm telling you that people around the world today are still giving their lives to spread the news. I I recently um, remembered this quote that I had read from Charles Colson, which some of you will actually remember his name. Some of you will remember it only from a history test, perhaps. But Charles Colson was the former hatchet man for President Nixon and the whole Watergate deal. I want you to listen to what he says. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Listen to what he says. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. His point is, if this is a lie, wouldn't it have been found out by now? Don't you think? Unless, unless Jesus Christ truly rose bodily from the dead. How else can you explain that such a ludicrous lie hasn't been found out and just caused the whole thing to go up in smoke? Easter is a challenge to the mind. 
And so here's my challenge to you. What have you done with the facts? I understand you got both feet on the brakes. I understand it's got to do with some things that have happened in your life, but what have you done with the facts? Like his body not being found. As big a deal as this is, what do you do with that? What do you, what do, you do with the significant number of eyewitnesses? And what do you do with Christianity's expansion over 2,000 years? How do you explain a cover-up that goes that far? My challenge to some of you today is to explore it for yourself. Explore it for yourself. If you spend the time and you examine the facts and you find them to be false, truly you have lost very little. But if you spend the time and you examine the facts and you find this to be true, woo, it's got the potential to change everything for your life. I want you to see Easter is a challenge to the mind. But more than that, the angel says to those ladies, Jesus is not here, look, look for yourself. And then he says something else in verse 7. Back to Mark chapter 16, but go tell his disciples. Let's stop right there for a second. Go tell who? His disciples. You know what most of us would have felt like saying? Go tell those faithless, backstabbing knuckle-headed, good-for-nothing, right? And we keep going with some other words that, right? Go tell them. But Jesus calls them disciples, still his followers, still his friends. But the most remarkable words of comfort and the most remarkable words of grace for me are the next two words. Go Tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. That means Easter is a comfort to the heart. That means that Easter is a comfort to the heart. Don't you think it's very possible that if Peter had only heard the words, tell his disciples Jesus is alive, I think that Peter might have come to the conclusion, you know what, that probably doesn't include me. If he had just heard, tell the disciples, I, knowing what, what Peter has done over the, the last right several days, how he disowned Jesus, how, how he just denied knowing him. But those two words changed everything. I came across a painting this week. It's from the late 1890s by a Swiss painter named Eugene Bernand. This is the painting. You're not going to find it in the Met. You're not even going to find it in the Nelson. Its home is actually an old railway station in Paris. 
But for those who take the time to find it, the word is you walk away with quite the experience. You got two disciples here. You got the younger who is John, and then, of course, you've got Peter. And just the way they lean forward and the way they clasp their hands and, and, and the picture of them, them running, but the most captivating part of it is their faces. Because if you look into their faces, you got John with this look of, of anxious, maybe worried energy. I mean, he was the disciple that stood by, right? I mean, he was with Jesus all the way to the cross. Everybody else abandoned him. But you look at his face, and, and it's almost like he, he, he can't allow himself to believe this news might be true. But then you got Peter. And if John is the only faithful disciple, then Peter would be categorized as the most faithless. And my question is, what is that look? Is that terrified? Is that ashamed? Is that desperate? Is that hopeful? And I think my answer is yes. I think that's what's so amazing about this painting, about how he captures. It's like he wants to, but he's afraid to, right? What's Jesus going to say? If he is, what's Jesus going to do if he has uh, come back to life? I, it's like Peter's got to be feeling, I want to see him, but there's no way he's going to want to see me. And it's like his hand grasped his chest, feeling for the courage, the courage that had deserted him nights earlier. Tell the disciples and Peter, Easter is a comfort to the heart. You know why? Because Jesus never gave up on Peter. That's good news. Jesus never gave up on Peter. And can I tell you something? He has not given up on you either. When he singled out Peter in this beautiful display of the gospel, it opens the invitation for every one of us who has ever felt too far gone that we could experience the forgiveness and the acceptance that is found from an empty tomb. Tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Jeff. Tell the disciples and you, I want you. Now, the truth is that the forgiveness of my sin, the forgiveness of your sin, the forgiveness of Peter's sin, the forgiveness of the whole sin required the death of Jesus. Yet when Jesus took all of that condemnation and he took all of that judgment, I'm reminding you today that he took it to a grave and he laid it behind him and when he walked out, he does not use that as ammunition against us again. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says we don't earn that. Don't you think we earn that? It's not from our good church attendance. It's not from the good things that we do. We don't earn that. The Bible says it is by grace through faith in Jesus. 
But what happened at that cross is that Jesus took the weight of my sin. He took the guilt of my sin. He took the shame of my sin, and he carried it to that cross. And it was as though he did it. All the stuff I've done wrong, all the stuff you've done wrong, it was as though he did it. But when he stepped out of that grave, he left it all behind him. And that stuff doesn't define me anymore. Jesus defines who I am now. Tell Peter, tell Jeff, tell you, come find me. Come meet me. I want to share in this new life with you. So have you met him? I mean, like, really, have you, have you ever met him? It's a challenge to the mind. It's a comfort to the heart. And if all this is true, a resurrection from the dead, then what should it mean for our lives? The angel's words to those women, again in verse 7, are the same words to us. But go, what? Tell. Go tell. Go tell his disciples. Go tell Peter. Go tell others about this resurrection news. In fact, go tell everybody eventually would be the words that Jesus gives. Go tell everybody because everybody needs to hear this. I want you to understand that Easter is not just a challenge to the mind and it is not just a comfort to the heart. But Easter is a call. A call to redefine life's purpose and mission. That's why if this is true, it absolutely changes everything. Once you have examined the evidence and you see Jesus for yourself, experiencing his grace, then he calls you and he sends you on a divine mission to go and tell others that they can meet him too. And hear me, that is the call of every Christian's life. It's not just the call of pastors. It's not just the call of church leaders. It is the call for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, for everyone who meets Jesus. This is the call of your life. Now, maybe you're thinking, Jeff, I get what you're saying, but I, I just don't know if I can do that. I mean, for one, I don't know that I'm that good with people. I just don't know that I'm that good with words. But if I'm just being honest, I also just don't want to make things awkward when I'm talking to people, when I'm talking to my friends, when it's my family. I don't want to make things awkward. I'm hearing you. And there's probably not anybody who hasn't felt that or at least thought it at some point along the way. But I want to submit something to you. I was reminded of a guy named Penn Gillette. Anybody know who Penn Gillette is? Anybody ever heard? Let me put it this way. He's a part of the famous musician duo of Penn and Teller. Okay? That's who we're talking about. He's a renowned atheist. A renowned atheist. But in a video blog fashion, he makes one of the most compelling cases for why Christians not only should, but must talk about Jesus. 
Now, again, he's a what? He's an atheist. He doesn't believe. But I want you to listen to what he says. You ready? He says, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, I can't respect that at all. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He's an atheist. Then he says this. If I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I would tackle you. And this, Christianity, is more important than that, a truck running you over. Wow. If we have come to see that Jesus is the only source of life and love, if we have come to see that he is the savior, he is the healer, he is the redeemer, he is the maker of all things new, then how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? Where is the urgency? There's the very famous preacher of days gone by, his name was Spurgeon who said it this way, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friends. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. For your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his Sweet love. What I'm about to show you from Scripture, again from Mark, I have never seen before in my life until this year. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've read Mark's gospel, can't tell you how many times I've prepped for Easter messages, can't tell you how many times I've studied the resurrection. I, in all my life, have never seen what I'm about to show you. Because in Mark chapter 16, verse 8, Mark gives us an interesting piece of information. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. You ready for this? They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I have never seen that in my whole life. Now, we know eventually they told. We know that. The rest of the stories, we know they, they ended up telling. They, 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 get, they got the good news out. But there's this period of time that they don't. There's this period of time that they say nothing to anyone, and Mark gives us the reason they were afraid. Now, we're going to spend some more time on this next week. And my mission coming out of Easter is... We're going to learn some things about how you and I both can grow to make known the Jesus that we have come to know. Because that's the mission he has redefined in our life. And I am convinced 
that in order to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us to spread the good news to the ends of the earth, it starts at the end of most of our driveways. If we're going to get the good news to the ends of the earth, it starts at the end of our driveways. But that means that something's got to change for most of us to be able to do that. I want you to watch this to help us understand what I mean. At one time, people actually knew their neighbors. They knew their names. They took care of each other. They spent time together. But then, it seems like something changed. We went from picket fences to privacy fences. We went from driveways to garages. We went from backyard barbecues to fast food drive throughs Is it too much of a fairy tale to think that we could truly be neighbors again? see Mr. Rogers and you're just kind of like, oh. Been a long time since I've seen Lenny and Squeaky, right? You too? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Next week, we're going to launch a new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? The reason is because I believe that something supernatural can start to happen around your house. I believe that something supernatural can start to happen on your street, on your road. And I'm going to give you some strategy for that by showing you how Jesus did it. And I know you don't have to believe me, but if you come back next week, I'll show you. It's actually fun. There's actually some things that we see Jesus do. It's absolutely fun. And so we're going to have some fun for the purpose of meeting our neighbors, for the purpose of fulfilling the call that Jesus placed on our life. I'll give you the strategy, and it really is going to be fun. But there's something bigger at play here. They said nothing to anyone. I mean, isn't? Isn't this the kind of news that needs to get out? I mean, if you hear about a good restaurant, right? You got a new favorite album or, or even a lousy one. Most all of you are going to tell somebody. But this news, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And get this, they were afraid because they hadn't yet encountered the risen Christ. Part of me wonders today how many of us 
are in that same place. We know Jesus is alive. We know a grave is empty. We know this is good news for all who call on him. And we even know that Jesus places a call on our life to go and to tell others this good news. But I wonder, I wonder if the reason that some of us are too afraid to share, I wonder if the reason that some of us say nothing to anyone, it isn't because you're not smart enough. It isn't because you're not good enough. It isn't because you're not called enough. But is it because for some of us we don't actually know Jesus personally? How else would you explain it? How else would we explain why we haven't said anything? The test of whether or not you know him involves whether or not we're too afraid to share. Do you know Jesus? Then you will make him known. Good news. Jesus came to not only conquer death, he came to conquer fear. And the question that needs to be asked is, if he conquered death, then what in the world else do I need to be afraid of? If Jesus conquered death, then I don't have to fear dying. If Jesus conquered death, I don't have to fear where I go beyond this life because of the relationship that I have with him. If I don't have to fear death, then what really else is there to be afraid of? But if we find ourselves too afraid to share about Jesus, then maybe it's because we haven't met up with him in a while. Or maybe we haven't met him at all. Easter speaks. It speaks a word to each of us. And it demands a response. Some of you need to consider the facts of the resurrection. Come on, you can't just dismiss this thing. What happened? What happened? Did Jesus really die and rise? How can 2,000 years go by and no one disprove this claim that he rose from the dead? It demands an answer. For some of you, I challenge you, seek it out. Seek it out. If you spend the time and you find it false, then you really haven't lost that much. But if you spend the time and you find it true, take the challenge. Some of us here today need to respond to the one who practices what he preached, forgiveness. And you need to know that this good news today is not just something for the elite. It is for the broken. It is for the cheater. It is for the spiritually blind. It is for the hurting. It is for the hurtful. It is for those unworthy. It is for those who wonder if they could ever be loved. This word of grace is for you. And some of you today, it's time to believe it. It's time to accept it. But you got to see him. You got to see him. Like those ladies who were first given that good news, right? They, they, 
you, you know he's alive, you know he forgives, you know he's charged us to leverage our lives to tell the world, but we haven't said anything to, anything to anybody because knowledge alone can't quell your fears. Only Jesus can. I can teach you all day long, fill your head with knowledge, but knowledge alone won't quell your fears. Only Jesus can. So I want you to consider this an invitation. An invitation to see Jesus today. Whether you have grown up in church your whole life or you have never set foot in a church until today, I am inviting you to see Jesus clearer than you have ever seen him before. You say, well, what do, I, what do I have to jump through to get there? Ask him. Ask him. But I mean like really ask him. I, I don't mean like go through some, you know, ritual of words. I mean like ask him. Your heart to his. Ask him. And so I want to help you do that right now. In just a moment, I want to just help you to ask him. Help you to be able to just pray from your heart to him that you ask him. And I'm going to explain to you real quick what, what we're asking for. Around here, sometimes we use the words beautiful exchange. Because here's what happens when I ask him. The miracle that happens is that Jesus will forgive my sin. That's good. He will forgive my sin because I got it. I got stuff. I know what I've done and you know what you've done. We don't even need to debate that today. We all got sin. It separates us from God. When we call out to him in faith, not deserving, not that we've earned it, we call out in faith, he forgives our sin. That enough it would be good for us to celebrate for the next thousand years, right? But that's not even all the story because not only does he forgive my sin, he takes it, but in exchange, he gives me his goodness. That's crazy, isn't it? The goodness of Jesus, like the perfect Jesus, like who never did anything wrong. The Bible says that out of this, when God looks at me, he doesn't see all the junk of my past. He sees the perfect life of Jesus. It is a beautiful exchange. He takes my sin. He gives me his goodness. And then he comes to live in me forever and ever, never to leave me, empowering me for the mission that now directs my life. That's what this is about. This is not just some little prayer. This is not just some little insurance of hoping that I can do something so that when the day comes, this life is done, that I'm safe. No. This is about a beautiful exchange of my life now belonging to Jesus. I can't help but believe that there are some folks here today, that's why he brought you here. That's why we came here today. And so I'm going to ask us for just a minute to just, only so that it will just help us, 
Help us focus that we just kind of close our eyes across the room. Can we do that? Can we just kind of close our eyes across the room? And, and I'm going to lead us in this prayer. I don't want you to worry about anything else at this moment. You're not thinking about seeing somebody else at this moment, but just seeing him. And from your heart, you don't, it doesn't even have to be out loud. Can it be? Sure. Doesn't have to be. He, he knows. From your heart to him, you pray. I encourage you to pray something like this, honestly. Jesus, I want to see you. Open my heart to believe. I believe you died for me. Will you forgive me for all my sin? I give you my life. I ask you to take control. I want to follow you. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Amen. That's our prayer today. We're going to sing a little bit more now. We're going to celebrate a little bit more now. It's what the people of God are called to do on this day. We celebrate a risen Savior. But I want you to know that there are some folks who are available to you around this room. There are going to be some people available over on the side, some people who are over on the back. And while we're singing, it's just an opportunity for you to, to, to maybe... Have somebody pray for you. Might be some stuff going on in your life. Might be some things that, that, that he's talking to you about today. Might be some questions that you have. We'd be so honored to visit with you today. We'd just be honored to help do battle for you today and help to battle in the life of your family. That's why we've come together. A Jesus who has risen from the dead, no matter what your situation is, no matter what you're going through, it is not too far gone. He raises things from the dead. And so as we sing together, and I just encourage you to lift your voices, praise him. But if you don't know him, and you still got questions, I encourage you to step in those directions. If you just got some stuff going on that you could just use some encouragement for, some prayer, step in those directions. Let's meet with Jesus. He's alive, and he's here. Let's stand, and let's sing it together. Thank you for listening today. May God bless you.